Hey everyone, it's Erica Henry, Network Pastor of Holy Districts, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. It's nice to be joining you again after taking a little break at the beginning of 2023, and somehow it's already mid-February. Holy cow. Alas, I have a new series to introduce to you that I'm calling Psalm-ish. I'm hoping it'll be an opportunity for us to use our creative brains as we engage our faith, as we listen to music that I think is really good music and consider the spiritual truth that are being shared via modern psalmist. Now, I'm calling it psalmish because the songs that we're listening to are not Christian songs, and they're not written by people who are claiming to be speaking for God, or maybe even speaking about God necessarily. However, in the way that art does, art has a way of getting at things that mirror words and logic can't quite touch. So I hope that we'll be able to explore some parts of our faith and spirituality together over these next few weeks together. And we're going to start off week one of our Psalmish series with a song that somehow is now old. (laughs) Uh, Over 20 years old, actually. It's called Clocks by Coldplay. If you are a listener that's younger than me, you, you've you definitely heard this song. If you don't think you have, it's in a number of TV shows and probably commercials and all different kinds of things. It's, it's iconic in that way. But uh, I'm going to play it for us to get us started. And I just encourage you to really listen into the lyrics. The piano is super catchy and interesting. But listen into the lyrics if you can. And after we listen to the song together, just take us on a little journey of comparative analysis between the lyrics of clocks and some passages in the Bible that I hope is really interesting to you. All right, let's jump in. Let's go. 
before we get on to the meaning of this song, I just have to do a shout out to my office fans who are now thinking of Jim wearing black eyeliner and holding a triangle. If you know, you know. Now, the the meaning of this song has been a discussion for the 20, 22 years or whatever that it's been in existence because as as good poetry often is, the the words are so beautifully clear while also maintaining the sense of ambiguity. Some people think this is a love song and that it's about this constant tension and conflict that the uh, writer feels in this romantic relationship that just can't quite work no matter how hard he tries. Uh, One of our Holy District people, Tim Deal, commented on the video this week that He thinks one of the themes of this song is the frustration of being a finite creature whose best attempts often end up causing as many problems as they solve. He says, there's a longing for that to be made right, which I think is the longing for home here. Or as Paul said, what I want to do, I don't do, but what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And I'm with Tim here. And the, the thing that this song makes me think about in a clearer and more helpful way, this, this spiritual truth that clocks has helped me to meditate on better than many sermons and conversations and books and theological dictionaries. The word that clocks has helped me to wrap my mind around is the word sin, sin. Yeah. Now, I don't know what your concept of the word sin is, and it is a bad word. You know, it kind of has become a dirty word. It can really be attached to this idea of, oh, I don't know. I guess it's the word that super religious people use to talk about the bad things that they see other people doing. (laughs) You might have heard the phrase, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, I remember working at the United Methodist Children's Home when uh, Blake and I were helping to plant our first church. And I had led some um, a ministry group there, so all the kids that I worked with knew that I was a Christian. And my work was a, a volunteer coordinator, but they would often come to me with questions about the Bible or Jesus. And there was one young man in particular that I had a, a, a really soft spot in my heart toward. And he would come to me all the time after having conversations with one of the residential staff who was also a Christian and who would come to me and say, Erica, if I do this, is it a sin? What if I do this? Is, is that a sin? And he was constantly worried that every single action or thought any mistake he made, any misstep would put him in danger. And this framework that, in my opinion, unfortunately, this other staff person had given him was creating this ever-present dread and sense of anxiety and self-doubt and fear that at any moment he could accidentally do something that would put him on God's bad side. And he was in need of constant affirmation and encouragement that he was okay, that Jesus really did love him, and that he wasn't ticking God off with every 
accident, mistake, or misstep. And I could relate to him. (laughs) If I'm telling the truth, maybe you can too. Maybe that's the way that you were taught to think about sin. That it's something bad that you do that crosses a line. Or, Or it's something bad that you think. Or it's something bad that you, or it's something good that you should have done that you didn't. And sin has become this category of shame about your individual action or inaction. Now, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to just throw everything about what I just said out as if there's no truth to some of those definitions Sin definitely has something to do with our action, our thoughts, and our inaction. Sin definitely has something to do with our relationship to God and how we experience our relationship to God. But I think that this very harsh, individualistic approach to sin is not doing us any favors. And I love that we have poets and prophets an artist to help us explore, I think more faithfully, the picture that the Bible gives us about sin. And so I want to start out with the first set of lyrics, the first verse of Clocks, and show you what I'm talking about. So in the very first verse, it starts out by saying, the lights go out and I can't be saved. Tides that I tried to swim against have brought me down upon my knees. Oh, I beg, I beg and plead singing, come out of things unsaid, shoot an apple off my head, and a trouble that can't be named, a tiger's waiting to be tamed, singing, you are, you are. When I hear these lyrics, I hear echoes of words, concepts, phrases, and symbols that are very Uh, present in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, what we call the Old Testament, uh, for those of us who are Christians and and have the Bible as our sacred scriptures. In, In this first verse, we have this idea of darkness, the lights going out, um, the need to be saved, water, chaotic water that's pushing against the narrator or the singer. Um, You have the apple, which has become this, the fruit, uh, the forbidden fruit. It's the image of the forbidden fruit, although the Bible never says what kind of fruit it was. But when people think of the forbidden fruit and the Genesis account, they often think of an apple. Uh, and, And a tiger waiting to be tamed. These all make me think of the first few pages of the Bible. The first few pages of of the Bible describing creator God um, entering into a world that is wild and waste, that is covered in chaotic waters. Uh, A creator God that separates and uh, dominates those waters in order for dry land to emerge and for life to become possible in a way that it wasn't possible before. Uh, you might also think of the flood, uh, the flood waters in the Noah story. But the, the image that I want to look at the most is this tiger waiting to be tamed. 
because I think this is a clear reference to the story of Cain and Abel. And the story of Cain and Abel is in Genesis chapter 4. This is also, I believe, the first place where the word sin is used in the Bible. And so a really apt place for us to begin our analysis. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, what has already happened is everything's been created and ordered. Human beings have already rebelled. They have chosen to eat from the tree of knowing good and bad. We've talked about this in like our very, very first podcast, if you want to scroll all the way back in our catalog and hear some of our thoughts on that. And and then Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And in Genesis chapter 4, we have these two brothers who have two different professions. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a keeper of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And in the story, it just says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, God says something to Cain here. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Isn't it interesting that the first time that the word sin is used in our Bible It's not talking about an action or inaction or a bad thought. It's actually used to describe this something that is outside of Cain that wants to conquer him. This animal or beastly force that's lurking, waiting to spring. This this tiger waiting to be tamed. I think this understanding of sin as a force or a power is really, really important. And especially the understanding of sin as a force or a power as a foundation of our definition of sin is really, really important. I think it's very interesting that the first instance, God is the one describing sin to us. God is describing sin to us through his conversation with Cain. God sees that Cain is upset and getting ready to commit an action that he cannot undo. He's about to kill his brother. Now, this is something that is happening to Cain or that is about to happen to Cain. It's something that's in his environment that will have an effect on him. Yes, He is able to master it, but it is something that is existing outside of him to begin with. And I remember the first time that I was introduced to the concept of sin as something different than the singular form of sins (laughs) that I either committed or didn't commit. I was in my first year of Bible college when my professor of evangelism was talking about the condition 
of sin. That Jesus, when, it, when the Bible says that Jesus came to save us from sin, it doesn't say that Jesus came to save us from sinning or to save us from our sins. Maybe it does. I Don't quote me on that. But that in many of the passages that we quote, talking about Jesus's interaction with sin, it is this singular word sin and is actually better understood as referencing a condition that humankind is living in. As our friend Tim talked about, Paul also thinks about sin this way, as a power or a force that is operating outside of, putting pressure onto and within him that is making it difficult for him to do the things he wants to do and be the kind of person that he wants to be. It's in Romans seven fourteen that Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. So that position of being under the power of sin, of being dominated and oppressed by this force of sin is a very important aspect of our theological understanding of this word, sin. And Jesus helps us to think about sin this way as well, using a different metaphor. In Mark 2.17, we see this. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, this is Jesus responding to some Pharisees who were scandalized at the kinds of folks that he was choosing to hang out with. So when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So in Hebrew parallelism, what you see Jesus doing there is putting the, those who are well on analogy with those who are righteous and those who are sick on analogy with those who are sinners. And so just like this idea of this tiger that's crouching and needs to be tamed or this power, this oppressive power that is weighing down on us or a sickness that needs to be healed, these categories of understanding sin are, are more broad and deep than just the idea that sin is when we do something bad that makes God mad at us. There's, there's something about sin that is bigger than all of us. Now, as we have been riffing on a little bit, this idea about the condition or the state or the force of sin that is at work and so powerful in our world does have an impact on human beings. And this is where I think the actual definitions of sin can really be helpful. In Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, ancient Hebrew, the word sin is kata, and it simply means to fail. So the same word kata could mean to fail in the sense of to like miss a target that you were trying to hit if you were playing a sport. And the Greek word is not all that different. Um, hamartia, it's, it's the same thing about missing a goal. And so really the, the definition of sin and its use in the scriptures is not necessarily about individual acts that are bad, but it's about this tendency toward failure. 
It's the failure of human beings to be fully human. And beyond that, uh, Tim Mackey in the Bible Project talks about it this way, which I find very helpful. It's a failure to be human and the self-deception that we experience and thinking that we know what is good and what is bad. See, oftentimes we are participating in behaviors and systems and perpetuating ideas and beliefs that we think are truly good, which are actually causing harm. But we don't know that. We all have our reasons for doing what we do. We all have our reasons for the choices that we make. In this way, we, we are all Adam and Eve at the tree of knowing good and bad and saying, yeah, I, I'm doing the right thing. If, if people would just do what I think, then everything would be fine. And Chris Martin, in talking about the lyrics of in his song Clocks, especially the lyric in verse two, where he says, am I part of the cure or am I part of the disease? He says, I reckon everybody in the world questions whether they're useful to the world or not. He continued, some people think they're doing marvelous things. Hitler thought he was doing great for the world, and yet we'd all say, no, no, no. He was doing terrible things. You know, it's this idea that everyone is the hero in their own story, and yet everyone is failing in some way. Everyone is missing the mark. And according to the biblical story, the purpose or the mark or the aim of humanity is to bear the image of God and to lovingly co-rule creation in the wisdom of God. And so here we are, human beings who are self-deceived, doing things that we feel are right, that are often causing harm, going through our lives as the heroes of our own stories, experiencing others as villains, making decisions or remaining indecisive, choosing actions or choosing inaction, all of us are caught up in this experience, this frustrating experience of both causing harm and being harmed, of being a part of a world that is sick and being victimized by the symptoms of that sick world, of having parts of ourselves that we don't like, that we can't seem to get a handle on. Or as Chris Martin says in Clocks, Confusion that never stops, closing walls and ticking clocks, going to come back and take you home. I could not stop that you now know singing, come out upon my seas, cursed missed opportunities. Am I part of the cure or am I part of the disease singing? You are. You are. This was the line in the song that first caught my attention who knows how many years ago. Am I part of the cure or am I part of the disease? And the refrain, you are. We're both. We are both a part of the cure and a part of the disease. I am. I know that's true in my experience, that there are ways in which my life is becoming aligned to the person of Jesus where healing is flowing to me and through me and to others. And there are parts of my life which are still under that sway 
that are still sick, that are still in need of being rescued. And this is the experience of sin in my life and in my world. Now, to wrap up the podcast today, I want to wrap up with the final lyrics of a song. Home, home, where I wanted to go. Tim actually mentions that, this longing for home, this this idea that isn't it interesting that all of us live in the world and we have this experience and even people who may not have a Christian or a Judeo-Christian worldview, most people would say, yeah, things aren't quite right. There's a sense that we do not accept the way that our world operates. We do not accept that we live in a world where a brother would murder his brother. We do not accept that we live in a world where children die of starvation while most or while many people sit comfortably and fill their their bellies full. Yet we participate in this world. We're a part of this world. We feel the wrongness of this world, and we long for a different kind of world. We long for home. And I love how, as you might want to listen to the song again, but as the song ends, you hear in the background, you are, you are home where I wanted to go. I'm not going to wrap this episode about sin up with a nice little bow. But I think as I listen to this song, you hear the songwriter longing for a world made right and expressing the intuition that you are, which is the inversion of I am, which is what God calls God's self in Exodus when God reveals God's self to Moses, that God is home. God is what we are missing And that is in God that we will experience our rescue and our healing from sin. Now, here's why I say that. I think it's important to leave this reflection on sin, knowing that we cannot work our way out of our sin condition. You see, when we start with the understanding of sin, like my friend at the children's home had, we will become fixated on that which is problematic about us. We will become fixated on the things that we do wrong. We will become anxious and overcome by fear. But First John tells us that perfect love casts out fear and that we actually have this beautiful future ahead of us where one day we will see Jesus and we will know him because we will be like him. And it is for this reason that we purify ourselves. And so I just want to end the podcast with a bit of encouragement to say, if you feel like Cain, if you feel like Paul, if you feel like Chris Martin, if you feel like me, the answer to being sick is not to do more or do better. The answer to being sick is to receive the right treatment, to receive the right medicine, Maybe the thing that's most scandalous about the picture that Bible paints of sin is that it's something that we are actually quite helpless to do much about. 
Someone who's sick needs a doctor. Someone who is enslaved needs to be redeemed or set free. Someone who is oppressed needs liberation. Just as sin starts from outside of ourselves, our rescue also starts from outside of ourselves. But maybe going into that is a um, better fit for another song. I hope that we will get to interact with you between now and next week where we will be talking about the psalm-ish, I Can Change by Lake Street Dive. I'd love to know your thoughts. Find us on Facebook at Rediscover Sacred. You can follow us on Instagram as well, or you can just reach out to me, Erica at holydistrict.org. That's E-R-I-C-K-A at holydistrict.org. I'd love to hear from you and include your input into our podcast next week. But either way, I'm glad you were here with me today and look forward to talking with you next week. The Holy District is a network of people who are dedicating their lives to grassroots, Jesus-centered community building. We're trying to rediscover the sacred and the everyday spaces where we already live, work, and play. And we're so grateful that you are along on the journey. Talk to you next time.